As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. He is Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 29th, right around 4 p.m. Carlos, it's finally game week. And it's the legendary MIL Day podcast now. And it's only legendary because I haven't recorded an episode in so long that it's sort of like lost to the legends, the worlds of uh, podcasting and on-air personalities. So, uh, yeah, man, finally, the week is here. There is a game, something worth talking about. Yes, and I know I have a lot of uh, Miami fans who have messaged me saying, hey, when's the podcast coming back? People are like, you're not doing them often enough. I've tried to express here that I've got some more responsibilities for the athletic. I'm doing a bunch of ACC recruiting, writing, all kinds of stories and stuff that I'm doing, and it's just made it difficult. I'm also doing more podcasts. I'm on the Until Saturday podcast uh, for The Athletic, and and I'm just busy, Carlos. Not because I don't want to talk Canes, because I enjoy it. You and I, I always enjoy our conversations on the Canes and doing these podcasts. It's just, you know, we're busy people. We got a lot going yeah. on. Listen, and- first of all, it's you're big time, and that's why you're not coming back. You're slumming it right now, speaking to me uh, about anything, really, to be honest with you. You're, you're a national guy now. You're all over the place. I get it. The little folks... You're forgetting about us, but it's all right. Thank you for coming back to us and throwing us a crumb. I, I personally have not recorded a podcast just because I'm lazy. That's just me. Um, yes, I've been busy, but I probably could have fit it in somewhere. Decided not to. But I'm reading, it doesn't really get exciting for me until now, right? Now, this is a time where you really get start getting hyped up, where I start getting back in the groove now, where, where I start, you know, pulling out the memorabilia that I've been hiding a little bit from the wife, start pulling it out little by little. She starts looking around the house and saying, where's all this stuff coming from? I was like, what do you mean? It was here last week. I was just, it's always been here. What are you talking about? There was no Sebastian the Ibis on top of the refrigerator. I mean, what are you talking about? That Sebastian's been here our whole life. What do you mean? So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm doing right now. <laughs> Poor Joanna. She's, you're, you're scaring the hell out of her with uh, making her think she's crazy. But, hey, you yeah, got to have some You got to do what you got to do, man. It's football season. It is. It is. So, Canes open the season Friday night against Miami of Ohio, the Red Hawks. Um and I want to catch up to date because the last time we did a show was about two weeks ago. And uh, Tyler Van Dyke 
Um, you know, he, he went through two scrimmages and missed a couple practices, I guess, because he bumped his hand on a helmet. And Mario Cristobal on Monday during his press conference said, look, Tyler did miss a couple practices. He's fine. He's going to start. It's the same thing I heard when I reached out. I didn't report it because as a reporter, I don't report everything I hear. Sometimes you you kind of have to just, you know, listen to the messages and 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 reach out, find out. And, and if people tell you, hey, he's fine, believe it. So right. anyway, it, it came sort of a little mini story there for a little bit, but he's going to be fine. My understanding, uh, he should be available to play Friday. And look, what I try to tell people is he played through a uh, grade three uh, sprain in his shoulder, right? Uh, <laughs> separated shoulder and uh, played against Florida State. Didn't play well, but I'm pretty sure a finger is not going to hold Tyler Van Dyke out of the starting lineup uh, opening night. Uh, Miami has a couple of other injuries, guys that had surgery in the offseason that Mario said will not be back for the beginning of the season. Trevante Citizen, the running back, three offensive linemen, including Jonathan Dennis, Zion Nelson, and Antonio Tripp, all having surgery, not rushing any of those guys back. And the reality is they really don't need any of those guys, Carlos. This isn't. There are no major dire injuries. What I always am interested in finding out, of course, is who's suspended, right? Game one, yeah. because that, that's always the interesting one. We'll get told an hour before kickoff, hey, such and such guy is being held out because they did something stupid over the summer. And, and you know, then we got to go and find out who that is. But Mario's done a pretty good job keeping things close to the vest for the most part. Uh, and, uh, you know, look, if, if he's legit and there's no other major injuries on this team, they should go out and beat the Red Hawks. Uh, you know, they're a 17 point favorite going into that game, Carlos. Uh, but I will say this for the Miami fans who think it's going to be a walkthrough. Um, they were, this team was six and seven last year. They had their backup quarterbacks play most of the year. Brett, uh, Gabbert, who's a senior that Gabbert name should sound familiar to football fans. Uh, he only played in four games last year yeah. for him. And they were 4-0 when he started. So we'll get into the game. We'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to get into some uh, preseason predictions, uh, Carlos, player predictions. I want to ask you if you agree with me or disagree with me, and we can debate. I'll, I'll throw you what uh, is going to be running in some of my stories this week in The Athletic. We'll go schedule by schedule, you know, game by game. Uh, and, and and you know, I'm predicting ultimately a 7-5 and five season for the Hurricanes. The over-under is 7 and a half. I'm going with seven because, well, since 2004, Miami's record has averaged to be seven and five, seven and five. So uh, I think well, there are listen, better teams. This, you can tell you can tell that you've been doing more national stuff and that you're not going to be potting as much and that you're sort of like pressing the brakes on the Miami stuff because you're throwing out a bold prediction like that. That's going to piss off the fan base. So mm -hmm. it's like dropping the grenade and walking away and say, hey, listen, I don't have to deal with it. Right. I'm, <laughs> I'm out of here. Hey, listen, I pissed off a lot of people in the last 48 hours. The Gators fans can't stand me right now because I predicted that they're going to have a losing season and hold on to their top 10 recruiting class. They just didn't like the losing season part that uh, that I mentioned. So uh, and, and Florida State fans think, you know, Miami fans are accusing me of being a Florida State fan because I, I think they can sign the number one class in the country this year. But well, hey, man, they every, have a great they have a great got hate for you. They could. Everybody's got to hate for you. And you've got, you know, uh, somebody stalking you now. Looking for for additional predictions and information from you, calling yes. you hour on the hour. So I mean, it's you're a busy guy, and there's a lot of hate to go around. And you know, when you, once you start becoming popular, man, once you, once your star starts yeah. to rise, so, so this popular. is what happens, bro. This is so what happens. popular. I'm still here in the same house in in West Broward. Um, Carlos, let's get into um, let's talk first about Miami of Ohio because I'm sure you've probably done a little bit of homework, knowing you, the fan that you are. You probably have a little bit of surface knowledge on Miami. Ohio. How worried are you going into the uh, open? Listen, Manny, I, I have a, a disease. It's called um, too much useless information that I carry around. 
Um, and when it comes to football, that that happens to be just like my my sweet spot sometimes in terms of the carrying of the useless information yeah. and digging into things that I really shouldn't dig into, like going down YouTube wormholes that I really have no business going down and trying to learn things. Um, I will give you a statistic here. So the last 10 season openers for Miami at home versus a Division One opponent. Okay, so we're not talking Bethune. We're not talking FAMU. We're not talking on the road or a neutral site game. First home game, right? To open the season against a D1 opponent, against a, a D1 conference, they are 10 and 0. And their average margin of victory is 17.3 points per game, which ding, ding, ding. I'm assuming that's where Vegas got the line from. <laughs> they could have. But that, of course, doesn't mean it's going to be an easy game either. It right? does I not. Mean- and, and I'll tell you why. Here's here's the problem. So, like you said, Brett Gabbert went down. Uh, they had their backup quarterback playing most of the year. They struggled offensively. That was their main issue. They averaged 20 points a game. I think it was like 113th in the country in yeah. terms of points per game on offense. Their starting quarterback, the one that took over for Brett Gabbert, under 50% completion percentage, didn't really generate much offense like you saw. But their defense was pretty good. Right. They only allowed about 23 points per game. They were 35th in the country in terms of points per game on defense. They're known for their defense and they brought back a ton of guys on defense. All right. I think the returning uh, production is like somewhere 74 percent on the defensive side. Yeah. Nine starters are back on defense. And I know that they were plus 11 in the turnover margin last year. They had 22 turnovers forced, which was top 20 in the country last year. So this is a team that. They have an older quarterback, and they've got a defense that's experienced and creates turnovers. Which and I believe I think, they lost four one possession games. Yes, and and, and I think the, the the moral of the story here is, you know, Miami has played Mac schools before, right? Like Toledo and Central Michigan, and they weren't blowouts. They were competitive ball games. And I actually ranked Miami's schedule in one of my preseason uh, previews here that's coming out uh, Wednesday and Thursday in the Athletic. Uh, and I and I didn't mark this the easiest game. In fact, I've got three other games marked as easier games than Miami of Ohio. So this to me is the uh, I don't know ninth toughest game of the season for the Hurricanes. But still, it's it's not you know this isn't a cakewalk in my book. And again, I'm only picking Miami to go seven and five this season in part because I think they do have a tough schedule. I, th- I think there are some really tough opponents on this year's schedule. So. Um, yeah, normally you'll be starting off with a fam, you or a Bethune Cookman or something like that to start right. the season at home. You're opening up against a legitimate Mac opponent. I mean, they were six and six in the regular season last year, lost the bowl game. But again, like we just talked about, they had four one possession games that could have gone either way, and they lost their starting quarterback at the start of the year. Um, yep. They're a totally different team with that quarterback. Their offense is questionable. I mean, it's it, let's see what they do. Uh, there's a lot of guys, a lot of turnover, a lot of change on that offense side of the ball, which may be good for them ultimately because they were so bad last year. Their defense is pretty solid. Um, they were, I believe, three and zero last year when they rushed for over 120 yards. So I expect them to try and run the ball against Miami, especially since Miami, for a Power Five conference, has an undersized defensive line in terms of their defensive tackles, and right. see what they could generate there, ball control, and keep the ball to Miami's hands. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think the Canes win if they win convincingly by 14 or more. I'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, I think as long as they win by two touchdowns, I mean, I I personally think this is going to be a tight game in the second half. I don't think it's yeah. – I think it'll be a one- or two-score game at most. And I think Miami, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll win, um, and they'll end their five-game losing skid at home, Carlos. They have 
a five game losing skid at home. I don't know wow. if you remember. We, that. we are we are so far from the fifty eight game winning streak at home. <laughs> My God, five game losing streak at home. That is yes. Ridiculous. Middle Tennessee State and the four ACC games. They were winless at home in the ACC last year. So Miami fans want to beat their chest, say, "Hey, we're being disrespected." Blah 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 blah. Hey, there's a reason there's a lot of sports writers and media around the country that are skeptical because Mario, as much as he has flipped this roster, 42 new players, seven new assistant coaches, uh, we've seen this song and dance before. We've seen other teams flip a roster, other coaches that have been here before, and you don't always get the results that you want right away. Uh, I think they will be better, but I'm not, I don't think these are world beaters right away at the start of the season. All right. That's Miami of Ohio. We won't get much more into that. We've kind of touched on all the key points for them. I do want to get into sort of a season overview. Miami didn't put out a depth chart, Carlos. I will have a depth mm -hmm. chart with my story. More importantly, I made some predictions regarding each of the positions. I brought up some stats in my story. Um, I'm going to read some commentary to you, and I want you to tell me myth or fact. All right, okay? let's see here. Let's see here. This is my first one, and we'll start, obviously, with the quarterback. Okay, that's uh, kind of the most important thing here. Miami struggled with trust and confidence in the passing game last year, finishing 85th out of 131 teams in quarterback passer rating. Of course, they didn't have Tyler Van Dyke for every single game. Mario Cristobal said he feels as though that's one of the strongest parts of the team entering the 2023 season. He thinks the passing game is, the, is one of the strengths. Does that mean we should expect a healthy Tyler Van Dyke to put up the kind of numbers he did over the final six games of the 21 season? 366 yards a game, 20 touchdowns and three picks. Uh, when he finished 11th in the country in passer rating, I'm not buying that, Carlos. Uh, Miami's still going to run the football a lot. I expect to see Van Dyke come close to matching Justin Herbert's numbers at Oregon his senior year. I'm going to give you his numbers. 3,000. 3,030, right? Huh? 3,030 touchdowns. 3,032 touchdowns, six picks. Um, Van Dyke, if he plays all 12 games, I'm calling for him to complete 64% of his passes for 3,200 yards, 29 touchdowns, eight picks, which I think will make him a top 40 quarterback in terms of QBR. Myth or fact, is that what we should expect out of Tyler Van Dyke? Um, well, I told you a couple shows ago, I think he'd be somewhere around 3,200 and 30 touchdowns. Okay. Uh, somewhere around six, seven picks. So I'm going to go myth. I'm going to go with my prediction, 3,230. Okay. Around six six picks. All right. So a couple more, uh, one more touchdown and, and two fewer picks for Tyler, which which would I think if you adjust the QBR from that, he probably gets into the top thirty. Uh, I think he's going to be a top forty passer. Uh, he'd be one of the leaders in the ACC in touchdown passes uh, because they are going to throw the football. But I also think this Miami offense is going to improve significantly because they're able to run the ball, and I think they're not going to give up on the running game. It's going to be a big part of what they do. I don't expect Tyler to average more than 40 passes a game, uh, and and so he's going to sort of be limited where some games he'll put up big numbers and some games he won't. Well, I think it plays into his favor, like I said before, uh, on another show, if the running game is good, because what he does best is push that ball down the field. So right. he'll be more efficient and have more yards per completion, although he's getting less attempts, his yardage might be similar just because he's hitting more of those deep shots and deep home run balls and being more efficient with it and completing passes at a higher rate because the defense is having to respect that running game. So he's getting more one-on-one -on -one coverage on the back end, finding guys more open, and also going back to a system that he feels more comfortable in, which is a system that has less reads, less progressions. He doesn't have to read the field. It's a one-two shoot or tuck it and go or throw the ball away. Um, and I think within this system, you're probably going to see more involvement 
with the slot receivers. You're going to see more involvement with the tight end than you did last year. Uh, you're going to see some more use of the running backs, I think, in the passing game, which I think was a little bit of a failing last year. They didn't use the backs enough in the passing game. Shannon Dawson said he has a good idea who his dudes are at receiver. Uh, Miami didn't really have one last year, but I'm betting that Colby Young becomes that guy around the end zone for TVD. I say he'll lead the team with 11 touchdown catches, the most by a hurricane since Leonard Hankerson's 13 in 2010. I'm calling for Colby to have 55 receptions, 700 yards. Does that sound like an accurate number to you? Um, I think Colby's going to have more of a KJ Osborne type year. Okay. Um, I think it's uh, KJ had somewhere like five, six hundred, seven touchdowns, something like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's more around what he'll have. I agree in terms of the uh, the yardage touchdowns. I think he'll have less. I think you'll probably see maybe Xavier Restrepo have more touchdowns because just that, that's TVD's comfort zone. That's who he goes to. That's his guy. That's who he depends on. And I think teams are going to rotate covers. Colby Young is going to leave the slot receivers working one on one more in the outside guys. All right, Xavier Restrepo. I said he'll lead the team with 65 catches, 840 yards, and five touchdowns. Uh, but the 65 catches and 840 yards will lead the team. I agree with that. I believe he will be the leading receiver, and I think he'll probably have seven, eight touchdowns. I think you have. I think he's going to have like a Braxton Burials type year. Yes, I know that's that's a tired comparison at this point. Yes, Hispanic last name, small white guy. I get it. It's a bad comparison, all right? It's just, it, apples to apples is what I'm trying to throw out there, and it's not for that reason. I'm just saying they play very similar roles. He's a little bit shiftier in the slot that Braxton was. Braxton was probably a little bit more straight line fast, but I think he's going to fill that role well, and just because he's TBD's comfort, he's that comfort blanket, that guy he reaches out to whenever he's in trouble. If he's healthy the whole season, I think Restrepo leads the team in receptions and, and in yards. My breakthrough player, though, is... Nathaniel Ray Ray Joseph, the freshman from Miami Edison. I think he's going to earn freshman All-American honors. He'll be the number three receiver on the team. Got him for 45 catches, 733 yards. It's a pretty big average, Carlos, and five touchdowns. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. I think that's going to be a myth. Um, I think he'll get opportunities. I don't think his numbers will be quite that high because not only is he competing for snaps with Restrepo, he's also competing with Rashard Smith. Um, I think he's going to get on the field and get the ball ton, but he's also going to compete with who I'm going to select as my my sleeper breakout offensive player of the year, Jaleel Skinner. All right. You you brought me to the tight ends. Uh, Will Mallory led the Hurricanes last season with 42 catches, 538 yards. He only scored three touchdowns. Elijah Royo is coming off season-ending knee injury. He's kind of been limited in practices and camps. They've kind of treated him with kid gloves. So I think he's going to get off to a slow start much the same way Will Mallory did a couple seasons ago, if you remember in 21. Mm -hmm. Mallory ended up with 30 catches, 347 yards, and four touchdowns. That's the numbers I think Arroyo puts up this year at tight end to be the top tight end on the team, but not necessarily a great individual season. Um, I agree, but I think those numbers are going to go to Skinner instead of Arroyo. I think Arroyo is going to take a while to get back. Um, If they do use him in combination with Skinner, I think he's going to be more of the inline guy. Uh, to allow Skinner to split out wide or use him in the H role to to motion and move. I think just Jaleel Skinner is an athletic freak. He's put a bit, put on a little bit more weight, and he's just a matchup problem for defenses that the Hurricanes need to take advantage of this season. All right. Miami's offensive line, I don't expect them to go very deep. Uh, Carlos, in fact, I think it's going to be a five-man rotation barring injury. I think the, the five guys from left to right, uh, Jalen Rivers is going to be your left tackle. I think your left guard. Uh, it's going to be Javion Cohen. You're going to have Matt Lee at center. 
uh, Inez Cooper at right guard, and your right tackle is going to be Francis Marinoa. Uh, as long as those guys are healthy, I think the only time we'll see the backups get into the game is if Miami's winning by a lot, like the Bethune-Cookman game, in which case I think Samson Okunlola um, and uh, Matthew McCoy are the two fir- are the first two guys off the bench. I, I agree. I agree with that. Um, so I don't know. What's the other option from myth? Is it fact? Myth Myth busted. Let's do that. Myth busted. So yeah, I I think it's true. I think I don't. And for me, I've always preferred uh, having a steady offensive line group out there just because the amount of communication and the amount of trust that it takes to play offensive line and play it well, it's like a well-oiled machine. If you've got different guys rotating in and out, you don't get that consistency and that cohesiveness you need to really get going up front. And if you've got five guys you're confident in, you let those five guys ride and you don't sub them out unless there's an injury or there's a need to, or you're up by a lot of touchdowns, right? Or a lot of a lot of points. So I'd like to see that starting five go throughout the season. Hopefully they stay healthy. You know, it's a shame that Zion Nelson hasn't come back from his injury. Uh, it would have been nice to see if he could have competed and gotten a job there at the left tackle and maybe made this offensive line even that much better. But got to start the, the freshman at right tackle and move Jalen Rivers out to left tackle. Um, I'm pretty hopeful for this offensive line. Got to see what Inez Cooper does this year. He was okay last year. He wasn't a world beater. He's a big dude, but I think his PFF numbers were somewhere in the low 60s. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm not sure Jalen Rivers has the feet to play left tackle, but we'll see. Hopefully he proves us wrong. All right. Uh, The running game, I think, is going to be improved. Uh, Miami finished 95th in yards per carry last season, 98th in 2021. And they haven't had a running back eclipse 693 rushing yards in a season. Since 2018, when Travis Homer finished with 985 yards and averaged six yards a carry, Shannon Dawson said Monday it'll be a running back by committee to start the season, which means we probably won't see the program's first 1,000-yard back since Mark Walton in 2016. What I am counting on is Miami improving in this way. I say they're going to average better than four yards a carry and finish in the top half of the ACC in rushing with at least 2,000 yards as a team. I'm betting on big-bodied freshman Mark Fletcher to lead the team in rushing attempts, giving him 100 yards, 603, and touchdowns. Six. That's a 6.03 average. Uh, I think because it'll be a committee, you'll see A.J. Allen and a lot of Henry Parrish right on his tail. I think between the three of those guys, you'll probably get 1,700 of those 2,000 yards rushing. I agree. I think you'll probably see those guys uh, all between 400 and 650 yards. Um, like you said, running back by committee, I think ultimately, I think you may be right that Mark Fletcher gets the most yardage. Um, if it's not Mark Fletcher, man, AJ Allen looked good in the spring game. He, he's, I mean, I'm sorry, in this last scrimmage from what I saw, the, the highlights and what I've read, um, he's a big dude. He's, he's, he's got some power behind him. He still has some speed and some shiftiness. I would say if it's not Fletcher, it's him that leads the team in rushing. Obviously, stopping the run is going to be the key to everything in Lance Guidry's defense. Uh, And I think without the kind of size Daryl Jackson provided in the middle last season, uh, there's going to be a chance Miami's going to slip from being average against the run, which they gave up four yards a carry, 63rd nationally, to finishing further down the list, especially when they face really good rushing teams. Uh, Those guys are going to find a way to beat the Hurricanes. We've seen it in the past, Carlos. North Carolina's done it. Florida State's done it. Uh, Miami ranked eighth in the ACC in rushing yards allowed per game. Uh, Guidry said Brandon Dean is going to likely lead the team in snaps at defensive tackle. He played 492 last season at Purdue. Leonard Taylor, 10-game starter, played 329 snaps. It's only 32 a game. 
I say if those guys don't play more than 500 snaps each, I guarantee you Miami is going to be the, one of the worst rushing defenses in the ACC. I agree. Um, I think because, like we've talked about many times over the summer, this defensive line, especially at the, def- the defensive tackle spot specifically, is undersized. They're going to need to use movement and athleticism to to disrupt offensive lines. And I think, you know, Dean's going to be their only plug, their only nose tackle, one technique type guy that can really double take on double teams and be that solid force inside. And they have other guys that are like Leonard Taylor in terms of not really with that talent, but that three technique that's really more of a pass rusher that gets upfield um, as opposed to a run stuffer. So they're going to try and use that movement. And I think they have guys that are bigger on the outside, like a Mesador uh, and other guys that are bigger and stockier that they could bring down into a defensive tackle spot on third down situations or even second down and long situations to create havoc in the passing game and try and create movement up front against the run where you're basically maybe playing four defensive ends uh, up front and just that slanting and moving confuses the offensive line and you'll be able to get the backfield and get penetration that way. I think what you're going to see is a defense, I don't think worse against the run than last year, but I think you're going to see a defense that is better but will give up big plays in the run game because they have to stunt and move and shoot gaps that if they miss – and if they're not in the right spot, if somebody doesn't get their assignment, if the linebacker's out of place or a step behind, there's going to be a long run. Yeah, I agree. Um, Francisco Maui-Goa was brought in from Washington State to replace Corey Flagg as Miami's starting middle linebacker. I think Maui-Goa is going to lead all Miami linebackers in snaps. I got him with 550 and tackles, 80-plus. Over over Bassaint, huh? Yes. Okay. All right, I'll go with you. And I think he uh, maybe has 10 more tackles of a safe this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the flip side of the defensive tackle problem, I think the Hurricanes should top 40 sacks for the first time since 2019 with the collection of talent they have on the edge and the heavy pressure schemes Guidry's going to bring. I got Akeem Mesador. Well, first of all, Akeem Mesador last year led the team with seven sacks. He was tied for the team lead with 10.5 tackles for loss. Uh, you probably put up similar numbers, but the two guys that I'm saying are really going to explode this year are Nigel Lee Kelly and Ruben Bain, the true freshman. I've got them down for eight sacks each. Wow. Too much? 
Wow, that's a lot of sacks. I, I don't think they both get to eight sacks. I think maybe, you know what, six and seven. Um, just just beneath that eight sack mark, and I think Mesler probably gets like ten. And Jafari Harvey probably picks up another five, five six himself. Well, they're gonna have over forty, so they got to find a way to get there. I think um, w w the way I suspect the majority of this pressure is gonna work is when the linebackers come, you're gonna see quarterbacks and uh, step into the pocket, and that's where you're gonna see a guy like Ruben Bain when he's playing on the inside. He just has a natural knack for knowing which way the quarterback is going. He's he's one of the best I've ever seen at it. Um, and he, he doesn't have the length of a Gregory Rousseau, but he just knows how to sniff out the quarterback. I think that's why he'll get eight. And I think Nigel Lee Kelly is the best edge rusher they've got uh, on the team. And I think he's just going to explode and and have a massive sophomore season. So I got both of them for eight sacks. But uh, let's move on to the pass defense. It was bad last year, Carlos. Uh, but I think an improved pass rush will probably help them improve on a 102nd place finish in opponent passer rating. Miami gave up. 60.9% completion percentage, an average of 233 yards, 8.3 yards per pass average that ranked last in the ACC and 121st overall. A lot of big pass plays. I don't know that they're all going to vanish when you're playing one-on-one -on -one island coverage, but there should be fewer of them. I say after giving up 15 pass plays of 40 yards or more last year, Miami trims it to 10. I agree with that. That's the number I'm thinking, 10. I'll stay with you on that one. All right. How much will James Williams move into the box and play outside linebacker? Gidry said it will depend on matchups. Uh, I think it'll be fewer than 150 snaps because Miami ultimately needs somebody else at safety to emerge, take his reps, and I'm not sure that guy exists on the roster right now. I agree with that as well. And I think um, you're going to see him depending on what the alignments are by the offense. I think if you're seeing more, you know, 10 personnel, what you call – four receivers, one running back, no tight ends. You're probably going to see James Williams playing more of a traditional safety role. If you're seeing more 11 or 12 personnel, meaning you know one back, two tight ends, one tight end, I think you'll see him more in the box uh, to try and support that. At the end of the day, I think, you know what? Here's here's another one we, we missed here, Manny. So uh, apparently some people are having a little competition since we're talking about predictions this season. Someone tried to create a drinking game based on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever somebody's drinking, you know, not this, you know, let me give a legal waiver here. A legal warning. Uh, I in no way encourage you to drink while you listen to the show. I am not encouraging you to drink at any point in your life. If you do choose to do so, that is your, your choice. If you choose to drink in a situation that is either uh, against the law or morally wrong, that is your choice. We are not encouraging you to do that. Now, that being said, at the end of the day, Manny, yes. well, the day is long. The day ends and it's at the end of the day. So at the end of the day, you know what happens at the end of the day, at the end of the day. So there you go, guys. Hopefully you are now trashed. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I think James Williams has a lot to prove this season. Uh, that, to me, is the guy on defense that I think, aside from Leonard Taylor, needs to have a breakout year. I think those are the two guys that we need to spotlight this year because there's been so much talent and so much promise, and we've seen flashes of it, but none of it's really bubbled up to the top and become dominant yet. And those two guys have the physical tools and ability to be dominant players. And I think for this defense to be successful and to be markedly better than last year, those two guys need to take steps forward and take steps to be leaders on that defense in terms of what they do. So Leonard Taylor needs to be the guy that disrupts that offensive line, creates havoc in backfields. James Williams cannot be beaten over the top. He needs to be a secure tackler. Um, he needs to be sound uh, in his coverages. And more than anything, he's got to stay on the field and be healthy. And if he can do that, I think they'll be much improved on the back end.
All great points. Um, all right, this is the last one. Will All-American safety Cameron Kitchens match the ACC leading six interceptions he had a year ago? I'm going to say yes, Carlos. Shockingly, Kitchens was only targeted 21 times in pass coverage last season, which was tied for 25th in the ACC among safeties. That's less than twice a game. And yet, he had a knack for coming up with the football. I just think this guy's gifted. People have always said, well, you're not going to have as many picks, right, because teams aren't going to throw your way. When you're a safety, you kind of have free reign to 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 go over the top and make plays, and he just has a really good uh, eye for the football, and I think he's going to match his six picks from a year ago. I agree. I think he'll match his six picks, and I think it's going to be more because not only is his ability to track balls down and be sound in coverage and be over the top, he's also going to get more opportunities because of the pressure, like we're talking about. Lance Guidry's going to bring more pressure. Quarterbacks are going to have to get rid of that ball a lot faster. They're not going to be able to read the defense uh, as long as they like and make mistakes and make decisions they shouldn't be making, and hopefully Cam comes up with more picks. All right, we're going to come back at the end of the year, at the end of the regular season, and review all of our predictions to see who got more of them right, who got more of them wrong. So we will definitely be back with an episode on this. For sure. Nobody wrote it down, so I could lie and say all of mine were correct. No, I, I've got it all written down. I already checked it <laughs> off here on my uh, on my sheet, Carlos. Um, all right, so I ranked the schedule hardest, uh, actually easiest to hardest, and I gave a prediction for each game. I've already given it away. I said seven and five for Miami. So uh, you can tell me whether you agree or disagree. Easiest game, clearly Bethune-Cookman. The only difficult part of that game, Carlos, is they're going to be coming off five days rest after facing Texas A&M. It isn't ideal to play any game on five days rest, uh, but especially if you're dealing with injuries, if you're banged up. But thankfully, it's Bethune-Cookman, who they beat last year 70-13 to and should be able to cruise with backups in the game. I think Miami wins. Uh, 59 to seven. So 52 points spread. Uh, any disagreements with me there? Uh, I think that I think they'll be in the sixties. Uh, you know, the last three or four times I played Bethune, they've been like almost, uh, two of those have been in the seventies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go 63, 10. Okay. The, uh, 11th, uh, hardest game. Okay. Or the second easiest, whichever way you want to look at it. I got that as temple September 23rd. Um, the Hurricanes lost their last game against a team from the American Athletic Conference uh, when Cincinnati beat them in 2015. The Owls, uh, Miami's former Big East rival, are led by sophomore E.J. Warner, the son of two-time NFL MVP Kurt Warner. The Owls went 3-9 and nine last season. They haven't won more than three games since 2019. This is the kind of road game I think Miami can go and win convincingly. I've got them winning 44-20. to 20. I've got Miami as well in the Manny Diaz Bowl. Uh, <laughs> Temple breathing a sigh of relief. Miami opening the door and kicking him straight out for Mario. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a three touchdown win for for the Hurricanes. There didn't one of the who who transferred to Temple for Miami? Was didn't somebody transfer to Temple or was that UMass? Uh, UMass. Miami UMass had a player right. who did transfer to UMass. Um, I think it was Jalen Harrell, if I'm not mistaken. I have to go back okay. and look at my at my sheet. But uh, yes, that's uh, yeah, not Temple. Um, all right, the third easiest game on the schedule, Virginia. Uh, the Cavaliers, uh, that's going to be a game October 28th. Last year, uh, Miami won in quadruple overtime in Charlottesville. You remember that play, Jake Garcia, the dive into the end zone? Yeah, he he bunted over a, a run, missed throw a third, <laughs> allowed the run to score in the 15th inning, and the Hurricanes won 2-1. to one. It was the second ugliest memory seared into my mind from last year's 5-7 and seven campaign, Carlos. Uh, Tony Elliott is starting a Monmouth 
transfer at quarterback. Uh, and he plays North Carolina the week before prior, you know, the week before coming to Miami. Uh, UM will be coming off the Clemson game. I don't expect Miami to win the Clemson game. I expect them to take out some of their frustrations against the Cavaliers, who won't be very good. In fact, this could be a Virginia team that doesn't win a game at all this year, Carlos. That's how bad I think they're going to be. I got Miami winning 38-14. to 14. I agree. I think it'll be uh, convincing, but I don't think it'll be a straight blowout. You know how it is. Virginia, for whatever reason, always hangs around. Uh, doesn't doesn't get blown out by the Hurricanes. Um, and they lost Brandon Armstrong. They lost a ton of guys. And, and it's just they're not going to be a very good football team. They weren't very good last year. They're probably going to be worse this year. The fourth easiest game of the season, Miami of Ohio, the opener. Uh, Red Hawks, 6-7. and seven. We've already talked about them. They played in a bowl game uh, three of the last four years, 4-0 and oh with Blaine, uh, Brett Gabbard at quarterback and healthy. Nine starters back on defense. I'm expecting it to be a game for three quarters Friday night, Carlos, uh, before Miami puts an end to its five-game losing skid. I got Miami winning 37 22. I'm going to go uh I'm going to go with the over over Brett, Vegas's point spread. I'm going to go 38-17. How's that? All right. All right, not bad. Uh the fifth easiest game and one that Miami will win as well. I got Georgia Tech at home October 7th. Miami will be coming off a of bye. Uh Texas A&M transfer Haynes King, the quarterback for Georgia Tech, didn't play against Miami last year when he was at A&M. Uh, Miami will have a week to prepare for him. If he's still the starter by then, that'll be the sixth game of the season for Brent Pry. Uh, Miami's won the last two meetings in tight games. Everybody thinks, oh, they blew out Georgia Tech last year. No, they didn't. Uh, Ja'Cory Brown's TD pass to Colby Young made it 21-7 uh, with 7.52 to play in the fourth quarter. Then you had an interception return for a touchdown by Cam Kitchens, and then it you know, kind of turned into a blowout, 35-14. But it was close until the fourth quarter. Uh, I expect something similar here. I think Miami wins 34-20. to I agree. Uh, you know, I think Jeff Sims is a better quarterback than Haynes King. You know, a big loss in the transfer portal for Georgia Tech. Haynes King, to me, is not a very accurate quarterback. Supremely athletic, not as athletic as Jeff Sims. Um, you know, he's got a big arm, but just doesn't put it on target. Hopefully the Hurricanes can contain him in the pocket. If they do and they force him to be a passer, he's not going to have a, day, a good day. Sixth easiest game of the season at Boston College to end it. Uh, November 24th. Miami's lost three of its last four meetings with the Eagles, who are coming off a 3-9 and nine season, an abysmal time protecting their quarterback. Gave up 48-6, 46 sacks last year, Carlos. Uh, that was third worst in the country. Uh, this game is going to be the day after Thanksgiving. It can be tough to get up for a game at that point, especially if you don't have something to play for. BC could. They could be playing for Coach Jeff Hafley's job. I think Miami wins that game. They get to seven wins with that victory. I got him winning a tight game, though, 30-24 to 24 in Boston. See, this is where having a Cuban head coach comes in handy, right? Because that there's that trip to fan factor of after the, post, the post-Thanksgiving the post hanging hangover. Yes. That problem, you know how you resolve that, Manny? How? Cuban coffee, baby. Cuban coffee. Mario's <laughs> going to have Colas in the locker room, and they're going to roll Boston College 34-13. All right. Well, listen, I'm glad you feel confident in that, and, and hopefully I'm not sitting there uh, – Worrying at the la- in the fourth quarter about that game. All right. The sixth toughest game of the year, Carlos. The sixth toughest game of the year for the University of Miami. Louisville, November 18th at home. New coach Jeff Brom brought in 25 transfers, including former Cal quarterback Jack Plummer, to restock a team that went 8-5 and five last season is viewed as a dark horse to win the conference. 
Jamari Thrash. Remember this name, Jamari Thrash. Nightmare to cover for Miami. Played at Georgia State, put up huge numbers. Smells like a shootout to me, Carlos. Uh, the way Miami's going to win the game, though, is because Louisville has to replace 32 of the team's 50 sacks lost to graduation last year. I got the Canes winning a shootout 45 to 36. Um, Wow. Them having to score 45 points is a lot. But uh, I agree. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Brom's offense is going to be very good this year. He's a very good offensive coordinator. He's a very good offensive mind. Um, you know, although he has an OC, he's going to be the guy calling the shots on offense. And and his offenses are notoriously uh, difficult to defend, and they put up a lot of points, and he's got a good quarterback and plumber. So we'll see what happens. But I agree. I think it's going to be somewhere along those lines. I think it'll be a one-possession game at the end of the game. All right. NC State, the fifth toughest game of the season. Why? Because it's on the road the week before Florida State, uh, November 4th. And if you remember, Carlos, the last two meetings with the Wolfpack – in 2020 and 2021, won by Miami by three points and one point. Dave Doran has won at least eight games in five of his last six seasons. Brendan Armstrong has come over. He's with Robert and I. They're going to rekindle the Virginia magic together. I think this is a coin flip game, one that Miami could win and could potentially get them to eight wins. I'm thinking NC State, though, at home, is going to get a little revenge. I got him winning 33-30. to 30. Yeah, NC State's always got a good defense as well. Um, they bring a, a few guys back, and I think offensively, Brennan Armstrong is going to be the difference on that team. You know, I think the one thing they lacked at quarterback was athleticism. You know, although their quarterback, Demi Leary, was a good quarterback, he could sling the ball over the field. Um, he was a bit of a statue back there and wasn't really a threat in the run game, albeit against the Hurricanes, he scored a rushing touchdown a year ago, so or two years ago, whenever it was. Incredible. Anyway, I think Brendan Armstrong is going to be tough to deal with. He has been for Miami ever since he's been there when he's been healthy. So, uh, yeah, I think North Carolina State probably has the edge in this one. All right, fourth toughest game on the Miami schedule at North Carolina, October 14th. Heisman candidate Drake May struggled summon against Miami last season, 309 yards. Two touchdowns, two picks. That's struggling for Drake May. Um, new offensive coordinator coming off a 9-5 and five season. But Mac Brown is 4-0 against Miami. He's got some talented running backs. I think that's going to be the difference in the game. I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for Miami. I got Tar Heels 34-31. I would agree, but here's the thing. For me, the thing that's been the most difficult to deal with with North Carolina the last few years with Mac Brown has been their offense. They played at a very fast pace. They had some really great stuff. They were tough to defend. Phil Longo did a great job with their offense, but he's not there anymore. And it's going to be a change for Drake May. It's going to be an adjustment period. He's going to be right around the middle of the season when he plays Miami, still getting his feet wet, still getting comfortable with the offense. I think by that time, he was probably going to be rolling a little bit. But I don't think it's going to be the problem that it was uh, to defend under Phil Longo. I'm taking the Hurricanes in an upset. All right. That's where you got them with eight wins, I guess. Um, Texas A&M, third toughest opponent on Miami's schedule, September 9th, game two of the season. Uh, this is on. The, this is where we get on the list, and, and they start to look, I think, a little overmatched at certain positions. Laugh at Jimbo Fisher for five and seven last year and all that. The Aggies are still an uber-talented team on defense. Got a former five-star quarterback in Connor Wegman. I think this is a game Miami loses at home to a better team. 34-20 Aggies. I think it ends up being 27-24 Aggies. All right, a little tighter. I got two touchdowns. You got one score. All right. Second toughest game, Clemson Tigers, October 21st. 
How do you get recruits fired up about the direction of the program, Carlos? Well, you don't lose to Clemson 58-0 like the last time when they came to town. Uh, coming off a bye, uh, Kate Klubnick and new offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, they should have some some of their offensive kinks worked out. It's going to be game six or seven, I think, for them. I got Clemson winning 41-24 over Miami. And I think that game they're going to be giving away uh, orange ties with RIP Al on it uh, to celebrate <laughs> the day that – Al Golden's coaching career at the University of Miami officially died. Yes. I think I think Clemson wins by three to four scores. I don't think we're quite there yet to be able to compete on that level. Yep. You know, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully I give them a heck of a game, but I don't I don't see Miami competing in this one. And the toughest game of the year for the Hurricanes, Carlos. Don't do it. Don't you dare do it. To, oh, I thought you were gonna do a tomahawk chop or something. No, I can't. I can't do that. I'm I'm uh you know, that'll really give away my secret FSU fandom. Uh Florida State. Uh, November 11th on the road in Tallahassee last year, it was 45 to three here in South Florida. Uh, I think Miami just has to try and keep this thing respectable. So it doesn't hurt them in recruiting, uh, Zaquan Patterson, who just committed to Miami and five-star receiver, Jojo trader, two of their top commitments are players. Florida state would love to flip. I think Miami goes into Tallahassee. I think they play them tough for three quarters. I think FSU pulls away late 38 to 23. Ooh, yeah, I think FSU is going to be very good this year, but I think you know how this rivalry goes. Um, I think when a team gets their ass kicked by the other one, they come back the following year, they have a mission, they have a chip on their shoulder. It's Florida State, it's Miami. I think Miami is going to be somewhere in the 20s in terms of ranking at that point. They're going to want to show something against Florida State. I think it'll be a closer game uh, than the experts believe. Closer than the experts believe. Not so fast, my friend. Um, So I'm going to go 34-28 Florida State. All right, so that's our predictions. You got them going eight and four. I've got them going seven and five. You're taking the over. Um, I got Miami averaging 34.5 points per game, an 11 point jump from a year ago. Uh, that's up. You know they were giving up 26 points a game last year, around the same exact number this year. Uh, so to me, in my mind, that equates to two or three more wins. For Miami, just having a pulse on offense, which they didn't have a yeah. year ago. If they had a pulse on offense last year, they go seven and five. I think uh, they didn't have it. They have the right scheme now. They have you know better players, uh, more depth. Uh, I think that is going to equate to as much as eleven more points a game, and I think that's why they ultimately uh, finish seven and five or eight and four if they happen to to pull off one of those upsets on the road in North Carolina. I think uh, you're right. I think about thirty-four points a game on offense, but I think they're going to be somewhere around. 20 to 21 on defense. I think Lance Gidry is a very good defensive coordinator. His system matches the talent a little bit more uh, than what was run last year. He's got more talent on the defensive side of the ball this year, I think. Although, like we said, they're undersized at defensive tackle. There's been more depth added to the defensive backfield, specifically a corner. Now, are they elite talents? No, but it's better talent than they had last year and more of it. I think they're much improved at linebacker because Wesley Vesaints can be starting the whole season pretty much. And I think Marigo is going to be a much improved middle linebacker over Corey Flagg. You're not going to see, you know, uh, a Wayman Steed out there. You're not going to see other guys being rotated in and out that really shouldn't be on the field um, and, and playing snaps for the Hurricanes who really have no no business being out there. So I think they're going to be much improved on defense in terms of points per game. Maybe they give up about the same in terms of yardage, but I think points per game, they're going to be a little bit better. Will be an interesting thing to watch. I just want them to have a winning season, Carlos. I want them to build a little bit more momentum in recruiting, hold on to a lot of the key guys that they have. Uh, and then we start to see what Mario can really do once these guys have some stability. I think last year was a rough year because they didn't have enough stability. They changed the coaching staff. I think that's part of the reason why they're going to go seven and five. I think it's just hard 
to take a big step forward when you've got so many new players, so many new coaches, you kind of hit the reset button. Uh, I think seven and five is probably what they should have been last year. I think this year with a little bit of stability, they'll be seven and five going, getting better going into Mario's third year. Um, and I think that's a step forward. Um, yeah. All right. You want to get to the mailbag? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Um, first of all, they're wondering, uh, this is everything 305. One of our diehard listeners who says, I wonder if Raul will make a guest appearance. Have you spoken to Raul lately? I have not, but then again, you know what? It's week one. Raul's bound to be be coming around at some point. He uh he doesn't stay hidden too long once the once the ball starts getting snapped. All right. Uh, hopefully, we hear from him soon. This is from Ryan Falcon one two three. What are the some of, what are some of the things you guys are going to need to see in game one to determine if the season is going to start off on the right foot? Is there some that's that's come up with two or three between the two of us here? Things that you want to see game one that says okay, this is right. Okay, uh, not give up a ton of big plays on defense. Be able to run the ball and protect TVD. Okay. And I think reduce, uh, have minimal penalties. I think that shows discipline. I I agree. I think those are the three things I want to see in game one. Um, The last thing I would add, let's see a receiver make some big plays. I think that's going to be a concern uh, for me until I see it, right? Like I have, I I think Colby Young can do it. I think, um, you know, Jacoby George has some of that in him. I think Restrepo does. But I want to see them do it. I want to see them take a ball in the flat or in the middle of the field and take it 70 yards for a touchdown. You know, yeah. just just make a big play. Show that you have some explosiveness in your offense. It lacked so much last year that I want to see a little bit of a refresher. And I know we said Miami of Ohio is a uh, pretty good defense, but let's see um, let's see what they got. Uh, and I think over one- the of the long course of the season, of the whole of the season, I want to see them be positive in the turnover battle. Uh, and turnover ratio because turnovers killed them last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. Uh, this is from JK Slay on Twitter. He says, what's up with this playlist survey from Kane's football? Now I'm going to, I'm not going to read all these songs all off to you because there's a long list, but uh, apparently they sent this out to say, choose the songs you hear on game day, check the box next to any and every song you'd like to hear this season and help us create the best environment in Hard Rock Stadium. Okay. I, I want you off the top of your head to come up with some songs that you think need to be played in the stadium, and I'll let you know whether or not it's even on the list. All right. First of all, the U by Luke needs to be played at the stadium. That's number one. The U by Luke. I, I yeah. don't see the U on here anywhere. All right. It's all about the U. Sorry. The U by Trick Daddy needs to be played as well. I think Don't Mess With the South by Trick Daddy. I think uh, we're going to. I need to hit you with some some of those Trick Daddy songs. Uh, Three hundred five, take it to the house needs to be part of that list. I think. Uh, what else do we need to to get on there? You know, me Here personally, I am rock you like a hurricane, right? Rock you like a hurricane because it's a classic. Yes, uh, I think that should be on there. I don't see uh, these songs on here, by the way. I'm. I don't see rock you like a unless I have the wrong titles for some of these songs. Do you, want, do you want me to read you my my uh my tailgate playlist? Go ahead. What, I, what I use during the day, like while I'm Let, grilling and I'm setting up at the house. Let's do it. Let's All hear right. it. So I start off with, I have to have the hurricane fight song uh, on the tailgate list because as soon as they score a touchdown, I'm playing it like I'm at the stadium. I want to hear the band, right? Mm-hmm. I want to circle my backyard with a flag, running around with my daughter going crazy. Uh, and then he immediately play, you already know by Trick Daddy, and it's all about the you by Uncle Luke. So those why that's why I have those songs on there. Now, if you want to go a little classic, you can go We Ballin' Boys. That's that we that's We Ballin' Boy. That's one of the songs they played back in the day during the 2001 season. Um, 
Can't F with the South by Trick Daddy. I mentioned that. Take it to the house. Born and raised in the county of Dade. Okay. Hustling by Rick Ross. Can't hold me back by Rick Ross. Who that by JT Money. Okay. Move something by Two Life Crew just because I like a little booty shake in my tailgate. Yeah. You've got to have a little booty shake in your tailgate, man. Esa Morena by DJ Laz. Mami and Nato. Again, with the booty shake. But then we get a little more serious again. Cross That Line by Rick Ross. Okay. <laughs> Those are just some of the songs I have. Now, that, I also play the, little uh, Tang, a little Wu-Tang. That's the playlist. To get me hyped up as I'm getting closer to game time. But uh, it, it all depends. Um, I'm looking. I don't even see Phil Collins on here on this list that was sent out. Yeah, that's 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 tragic. Now, what do they have on there? Uh, Africa by Toto. No, um, no, no, no. Listen, the, the only Toto you're going to have there is in the stands. <laughs> Crank that, Soldier Boy. I get that, yeah. The you. All right. Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Listen, that, that song should only be used in bars to celebrate victories. TikTok by Kesha. No, no. This Timber is by Pitbull. Time no, of this, Our Lives. That That is a wrong Pitbull song to be playing. No. I mean, they got Titi Me Pregunto. I, w- I wouldn't mind hearing that. That I get that. That I get that. You want to get that crowd going. You want to get hyped. A little Bad Bunny. Can't yeah. go wrong with it. Yeah, I, it'll be very interesting to listen to the song. I'm going to be having my ears open during the game to uh, to hear what they're actually playing. Um, that, that survey sounds bogus at this point. If there is nothing by anybody from Miami, uh, you know, other than than Timber uh, or some other bad song yeah. by Pitbull, other than some of his good stuff, like his early days, uh, I don't know. All right, this is from Alex Perry, A. Perry, 1927. Last year, I thought the offensive line play was generally terrible. What are the expectations for the offensive line unit this year? To be unterrible. Unterrible? <laughs> I think they should be one of the best five in the ACC. I agree. I, I think they should be uh, above average. I don't think they're, they're going to be elite. I think they'll be above average. And this is from Andrew V underscore 17. Uh, have your expectations of this team changed since the beginning of fall camp till now? Are there any position groups better or worse than you thought? I mean, I've always thought about eight and four. I think if they get lucky, they can get sneaky into nine to three. But uh, that, that's I've I'm, I've held that for a long time. I think uh, ever since they they finished with the transfer portal additions, I felt that's where they would be, and, and I haven't changed my mind. Yeah, I don't think I've changed either, and and I don't know that anything in practice has made me more confident or less confident in any position. I I think uh, the fact that to me it's defensive tackle, receiver, cornerback are the three areas where I look at it and I say they're still not great at those spots. And when you have that many positions that you're kind of concerned about going into the year, I can't get over – I can't get past eight and four. Like, I, I won't for those reasons. I think they could slip to seven and five, six and six if they have an injury at the safety spot. And, I, yeah, I agree. The depth is not great there either. But they, they do have two very good frontline players. So – um. That's it. That's it for the mailbag. That's it for the wide right episode. Uh, we wrapped it up in about an hour. I hope you uh, enjoyed it. Please send all your hate mail to uh, Kelvin Harris. I'll give you his email. Uh, kharris at 15and0.com. Make sure you send it to him. All your complaints. Carlos, thanks for uh, doing the show with me once again. Hey, listen, before we go, at the end of the day, man, the day is over. Our show is over. But at the end of the day, the day is ended at the end of the day. There you go. By now, whoever is competing in this uh, this drinkathon is sloshed, does not remember this episode, has blacked out, and hopefully enjoyed themselves. <laughs>
You're absolutely my, right, my brother. Hopefully they uh, they have a good time going into Friday night, and hopefully there's a happy day Saturday. Everybody has a happy weekend. Right, and if they do win Friday night, then you can feel free after the game to play uh, Don't Stop Believing. But do not play that at the stadium. That is not a stadium song. Not down here it is, all right? We will be back next week with another episode of Wide Right. Thank you for listening. Peace. It's all about the you.